0: should i get bangs i'm your host julia rossi and today's guest is he is on grace and frankie he uh hosts mystery science theater 3000 which is returning he hosts a podcast called self Quar podcast he's also a good friend and hilarious and very kind please welcome to the show
1: me baron vaughn yeah oh hey julia how you doing Good to see you.
0: <laughs> you too. Good it's to so funny because no eye contact is ever made during the intros.
1: Oh, really? Well, I'm looking right at you. So <laughs> you, you're you on my screen, but of course the camera's in a different place. So we always are off looking a little to the left or above or below or ourselves because we are narcissists. There's also that.
0: Truth be told to anyone listening, Baron already recorded an episode of this podcast, one of the very first episodes. I didn't know how to do audio. It was shit. I was so sad, but you know what? It wasn't meant to be.
1: Julia, I have taken a full year to barely get out eight podcasts that were, <laughs> supposed, were supposed to come out every every week for 2020. And so I'm still in the, someone called me the Lauren Hill of podcasting the other day. And I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. Like a lot of lead up. And then you're late. What happened? Uh, it's just life. Come on, Julia. Yeah. We're parents in the pandemic. There's just a lot of things that people who aren't parents don't, couldn't possibly understand. And we also have never had to explain it to others, ourselves. I also continue to get confused about what are things that are just in my head and reality. Do you see what I'm saying by that?
0: As far as projects or life? Like, what do you...
1: Well, in both situations, I mean, like, but like, if I'm, say, late to something or keep forgetting to reply to someone's email or text or various way that they reached out to me, I do this thing. I call it phantom reply and you're welcome to use it, which is when you think so hard about replying, you believe you did. You see what I'm saying? Do you do Mm. that?
0: I don't. I'm pretty. I Well, we're in very different stages of. Parent. Well, no. How old's your youngest?
1: The youngest is about to be two, but you only have one child, too, right?
0: I only have one child, and she's not even one yet. So I can I can very easily answer a text and email while she's like looking at a spoon. Mm. <laughs> she's not. You know, like she's not walking yet. She's like I can strap her to a chair and be like, "Okay, Look at so this having piece of two kids newspaper. means
1: yeah. your youngest is looking at a spoon." And you go, cool, I'll reply to a text. But then your oldest comes over, takes the spoon, and hits the youngest one in the head, <laughs> and then looks at you and goes, Don't text. Oh yeah. And you're like, What? Stop hitting your brother. That's 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 a big thing right now. Like, stop hitting your brother.
0: Have you do you uh do you try to be conscious of like using technology in front of your kids?
1: Yes and no. I mean, there's a part of me that feels really self-conscious because I'm I'm thinking about what my parents said to me about mm. the shit when I was growing up. That's irrelevant. It was irrelevant then, and it's even more irrelevant now. But it's still there. So there's still this like ingrained shame about how much technology I'm letting them use. However, we are a technology-heavy society. And so it's kind of like at some point... They're going to have to interact with these technologies, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and the technologies that we have now are going to be nothing next to what they have when they are teenagers, you know, I mean, there's no way I think about like, you know, and Jackie Cation has this one joke about her husband who is a video game, you know, like he, he designs games and animation and, and programming and all this stuff that when we were kids, we were told was a waste of time. Now, Billion dollar industries, each. Mm,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. right? Well, so, go ahead, yeah. go
0: ahead. Well, I was gonna say because, like, because I grew up watching so much television. I had no rules about television or food or anything in my house. It was lawless. Uh, but there is something in my mind where, like, having her and I, I, she doesn't use that much tech. Well, she does do Facetime a lot, which is unfortunate. But having her watch a cartoon on a TV feels different than handing her a phone.
1: Oh yes, yes, absolutely.
0: Like it just feels. That's the same reason why I don't read books on my phone or on, mm. a, on a on a tablet. I like the pages. Yes, like yes. whatever I can do to not have a phone or laptop in my face, I will do. I don't watch movies on my phone or TV. I don't. I can't. I'm not that. Like I don't get sucked into TikTok. I don't like to watch videos on my phone because mm, mm. I associate phone and computer with work.
1: Mm. Absolutely. And that's because we are geriatric millennials. That's why. That's that's what it is. It's the geriatric part of the millennial that is like, I don't need a phone right now. Yeah. So we remember when there was that, there was a time before everybody had this technology. And then there was a time when everyone had this technology. And we remember both. Yeah. With equal shrift.
0: I also wouldn't be so aware of how old I feel if it wasn't for technology because I could just hide in my house and be like, I'm a hot young thing. And then I go online and I don't understand the words, the hashtags. <laughs> I feel so, I don't, I act like I'm cool, but mm-hmm. boy, oh boy, the amount of Googling I do for slang.
1: Oh shit, Julia, <laughs> the, the, the the best part to me about being um, uh, a parent is letting go of feeling young yeah like not having to there's nothing cooler than not giving a fuck about (laughs) whatever one who is trying to be cool is trying to do i get it i get the slang all you have to do is just listen to the music (laughs) you know what i mean because every song is three words now anyway
0: but I do ask people to turn – like I was at a restaurant the other day. I had an afternoon margarita. I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. I'm naughty, you know. It was my first time going out for like a drink drink in a while. And I, I said to the waiter, I was like, I'm so sorry. Can you turn the music down? And I hated myself. I hated oh. myself for it. I also just don't like loud noise. It's not even an age thing. But I did feel very old and stupid.
1: Hmm. Why? Why That's were those? The, little... Why are those the first things that you jump to? Old because and stupid. Oh,
0: maybe what not. What about stupid. sensitive? Yeah, and
1: and, and anxious.
0: <laughs> well, you're right about sensitive because I've been reading and I've talked about this so many times on the podcast. But like, I am definitely a highly sensitive, sensitive person. person, and yep, loud yep, yep. noise has always. I also just grew up in a very loud house, so I can't Big handle fam? loud noise. Just, I just have one sibling, but we, mm. even if we're not yelling, and I do this to my husband as well, for some reason, we always ask each other questions when we leave the room. Like, I could be in the room with my husband for mm. a half hour, and then the second I leave to go in the kitchen is when I'm like, oh, do you know if we have? It's like, why didn't I ask him when I was right next to him? It's just how I grew up, of yelling. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's very funny because that is a big thing that I'm real that, – that me and Rhiannon are also kind of like realizing like you never know what you grew up with until you realize that, oh, I have habits that aren't, you know, universal. Oh, yeah. Especially when someone else is on top of you all the time. It's kind of like, why is this the thing? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, so it's, it's – uh, but that makes sense. I mean, you're just kind of, you know, you're not talking until you need the thing.
0: Well, but also I think, you know, obviously there's self-awareness when you're just, you know, a human being with or without children. But, you know, I'm curious as somebody who has children, like, do you feel like those isms are just slapping you in the face left and right now of like, Oh, wow. I'm like this. Oh God, this is from childhood. Oh my God. I'm just like my mom. Like that kind of stuff.
1: (sighs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, and it's, it's, for me, the biggest thing, if, it, you know, there's no other way to say it, is that I am realizing for the first time how monumentally fucked up my childhood was. I knew it was messed mm. up. Okay. But I didn't know it was monumentally
0: and fucked up. And can I up. ask what you mean by that? Well, it's, it's,
1: you know, my, you know, first of all, let me just say that I'm, I'm like, okay, now. And like I if there's anything that I've been doing a lot this pandemic, it's thinking about and processing this stuff, especially because all of this comes up so much with parenting, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's nothing that brings your child, your own childhood more in the focus than like having to give someone else one, you Mm -hmm. know, like now, oh, I'm witnessing a childhood and I got to make sure like, no, it's all good. Like, but it's it's. Just kind of like when you were like, "Oh, I'm at the I'm at the fridge now," and now I do we have this? You know, it's not until I'm confronted with a child who's crying inconsolably, and I've tried every you know, and I've tried something that I realize, "Oh, what was I told?" You know, when I was crying inconsolably, like mm-hmm. that, I was I met with this or that or this or that, and what I'm realizing is that I was neglected. And so I didn't understand what neglect means. Neglect seems, it's always like a weird thing. So it was kind of like, all right. So it was like, there's a lot of abuse uh, in my childhood, some of it that was pre verbal, and then some of it that was like the whole time I was growing up. So it's like, now it's called CPTSD, right? So I'm supposedly a, a highly sensitive person, too.
0: All of CPSD? these. CPSD.
1: Complex post traumatic stress disorder.
0: Oh. I've never heard that one. Yeah, the, that's the, the new difference?
1: shit. This is the new slang.
0: What's the new? Look what's that the, up I, on
1: Urban Dictionary.
0: Listen, I love if you want to talk about slang. I might not get the kid slang, but I love some mental health slang. Yeah. Um, what is what is that? How is that different? Than well, it's
1: deep but it's complex. No, it's okay. it's stupid. This is what I'm saying is stupid. <laughs> it's a so, real term. Yeah, it is a real term, you know, and and basically the the thing is that your entire instead of all right, this is the basic way of, of describing it. So, if you were someone who say went to war,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you want, you might come back with PTSD. Most of, most likely, you will come back with PTSD.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: were in a very traumatic experience, and so now that kind of is embedded in your body, and it's mm-hmm. and you you now have to just deal with that. But say you grew up in the war torn country, and your entire childhood was war mm. and so your your entire sense of self you know is is was 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 born in a state of constant war in a state of constant trauma,
0: okay. I understand. And I also I'm I'm curious that probably relates to because something that I have, because even when you said uh, neglected, mm-hmm. you know, I think where my brain first went, even though I know better is, oh, you weren't fed. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> what you think neglect like like you were you were left in a room. With no water like that. That's what I, I think that's maybe not everyone's this way, but that's sort of what I mean, that's like spot. extreme,
1: extreme neglect.
0: Right. But but neglect can be something. And I don't mean as small as but as simple as no one asking you how you're feeling. <laughs>
1: Yes, You know, yes. And,
0: and I know there's different levels of it. And look, most parents do the best they can with the tools that they have. I yes. understand that. And I'm learning it so much now as a parent that mm-hmm. it's like, wow, like I'm doing the best I can here. Um, But yeah, but it's it's an interesting thing because I, I, I understand the notion of the complexity because like- it took me a very long time to ever call anything I went through as a child trauma
1: because
0: mm-hmm. I thought of trauma as like
1: – It has to be like an extreme sort yeah, of – Yeah,
0: like I was raped. I was, you know, beaten every day. Like it – it, it <laughs> like, you know, it I, – I feel like every The Lifetime like, movie. Yeah, like a real Lifetime the movie. SVU like, episode. But like a dabble of abuse, a touch – a touch of neglect, you know, to, but because there was also some really good times, Met many, and I have a good relationship with my parents for the most part. It was really hard for me to use the word trauma for a very long time. But when I started using the word trauma, it fucking set me free because I finally mm. could call it something.
1: Yeah, and you know, the thing about it is is these are words that, especially the word trauma, because it immediately makes someone feel bad. Or it immediately yes. has a negative connotation. Yes. It doesn't necessarily mean that. I guess I kind of look at, you know, I had a, a really wise teacher who put tra- who who dis- who described trauma as such. He said, trauma is not what happened to you. Trauma is how you became disconnected from your essence or your body mm. because of what happened to you. Oof. So, you know how people go, like, you are not your trauma, like, you're not this event, but your embedded now reaction to anything that reminds you of that, Mm
0: -hmm. that takes
1: you out of the present moment back to that event in some way, sometimes very consciously, sometimes subconsciously, subconsciously, is what I'm talking about.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think a trauma is time travel.
0: Okay, can you explain that?
1: Yeah, sure. Any trauma is uh, say you, you know you're born and you're here today. Born is zero and today is Julia, right? Mm-hmm. So on that timeline, any trauma is almost as if a stake has been buried into that place and an yes. elastic tied around your neck.
0: Oh, and as God. you continue
1: to go forward, that elastic gets tighter and tighter and stretches further and further to the point that you might not even realize it's been there anymore. And they're around your neck, it's around your wrist, it's around your waist, ankle, whatever the hell it is that you stored this bullshit in, your jaw. Yeah. And so we just continue to go forward because we have to. But anytime we re, you know react to something that reminds us of the place where the stake is, you know, then we are going to react from a place of being tightly wound.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that rubber band is the perfect analogy. The rubber band snaps. Like, snaps you back to that place. It's sort of like when, you know, I've definitely had the moment, not not recently, but like, I remember years ago when I was really kind of understanding trauma and, and PTSD and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And, you know, those moments where I would maybe like go home and... You know, uh, my parent would say and I would just I would turn into a teenager. I would Mm, would respond mm. like a child Mm -hmm. and it would be like so explosive. And I was like, oh, my God, that's not who I am. And it's it's certainly not who I hope not to show too much of to my child. I mean, you know, obviously I'm going to I don't want to say fuck up. But the
1: thing is, though, Julie, you can't change what has happened.
0: Right. Of course.
1: Because that's the thing where it's like, you still are who you are. I still am who I am. I went through what I went through. It's not that it was, sure, it was this, it was that, but it was, it's facts. It's over. You know so, what I'm saying? So,
0: so you're saying, dur- so during the pandemic, you feel like you got more clarity on this neglect and, and CP. C-P-T-S-D? Well, because I'm
1: having the experience because a lot of my childhood was spent inside, indoors, in isolation. Mm. Okay. So it was kind of like, I grew up in a neighborhood that wasn't safe. So outside was scary. You know, once, mm. I, once I got to a certain age and everybody that was my age was that age, then outside was scary. But it was also... Where did you grow up? Vegas. Okay. Las Vegas. So it's kind of like, and I remember it, it was like... I grew up in Vegas at a time when, and I'm trying to, it's amazing to learn about history and shit too. Like thinking about now I kind of know what was happening in Las Vegas when I moved there, which was the beginning of this 20 year long growth spurt where Vegas was the fastest growing city in the United States for like Mm. two decades in a row. We moved there because jobs, jobs, jobs. And then the casino industry started to explode again, which hadn't happened in a long time. So then when we we moved there, apparently- we,
0: it was you and- My
1: mom, me and my okay. mom. My grandmother was already there. My mom had kind of already grew up there. Uh, and so when she came in to get me, we moved to Las Vegas. And I was probably eight-ish, something like that. Point is, Vegas had a- load of eight-year-olds descend upon it and it was not ready for that the city had this crazy cloud of children show up because all these people showed up and vegas didn't have the infrastructure for it it Mm -hmm. did not have the schools it did not have the space you know it did not have all this shit so it was like they had to resort to like busing and all this other shit and vegas was already a, a, a corrupt ass city (laughs) You know, and then suddenly Mm -hmm. it was this family town because in like this course of like two, three years, it was like the population of children increased like 10, 20 fold or some shit like that.
0: Did your mom work in casinos?
1: Yes. Yes. The Mirage Casino was the the first thing that had opened on the Strip in 15 years. Oh, okay. And my mother was in the first fleet of hiring. When a casino opened in Vegas, it was like 5,000 jobs like that. Yeah, and so suddenly it was like then there was a casino opening almost every year, or at least every other year. So it was like there were just so many jobs, and then teachers started flocking once they started to build more schools. It seemed like the teachers started to come in because they were also going to
0: pay you. Yeah,
1: and it was a cheap cost of living. Anyway, I'm getting a little sidetracked.
0: <laughs> no, it's, but it's it's important to the story because I didn't know that about Vegas.
1: And what happened was what I'm seeing now. I think is Vegas already had a a level of segregation and then Mm -hmm. suddenly a lot of black people came Mm -hmm. and these black people came from Compton, South Central, came from Chicago, came from all up and down California, Oakland. So where did you come from? We came from New Mexico.
0: Okay. That's where you were born.
1: Yes, this is where I was born. But my mother, like I said, had already grown up in Vegas before a lot of this stuff had happened. She went to high school in Vegas. Okay. When Vegas was a smaller place than the one that I grew up in. And it was also, the Vegas I grew up in was like the beginning of like corporate ass, big entertainment, bring your family Vegas. You know, there was a Mm -hmm. moment, it was before what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It was Mm -hmm. like Vegas, everyone's welcome now. Gambling Mm. for the adults, clowns for the kids, you know, (laughs) that's what they like, right? Dragons and, uh, oh, look at these magicians with tigers. Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson's their friend. Come on down to (laughs) Vegas. You know, hey, you want to watch a show where there's a a freaking, uh, all these pirates are going to fight, right? And the boat's going to sink and you're going to be like, what is this place? And then it, it, there's a casino and you go into a casino. It's <laughs> yeah. just like Vegas was – it was crazy. Anyway, it's insane to grow up in a place like that. But the point is that it started to get crowded quick and there were people who were from neighborhoods that had gang affiliations that came to Vegas and then, mm. quote unquote, Brought the gangs. It was almost as if like it was like a corporate takeover. It's how I remember it, where it was like, oh, there was a, you know, an immigration. And then it was kind of like a linking up. And then suddenly, like the Bloods and Crips were a thing in Vegas where they weren't when I was a younger kid. Okay. Anyway. On top of this, inside was a minefield. Because now I understand. Well, I knew my mother was an addict. She was an addict and she was a mean one. I'll say okay. that, Mrs. Grinch. Uh, but that didn't start until I went through puberty. And so that I look at as like TV show, <laughs> you know, abuse. But before that, before she got aggressive, I realized now that even younger and younger and younger, she was drinking. She just wasn't mean yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I was thinking about third through sixth grade, I still had. Uh, addict parent. And I was thinking about like driving around in a car with someone who's on a substance that whole time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, now I see that I have never felt safe. Like I never grew up in a place where I felt like I wasn't going to get punched or stabbed or kicked or inside, outside, you know, or crash into something or all of these things. Now I see it as also like, this is where my superpowers came from this hypervigilance which when I don't have control of it, drives me crazy. But it's the reason I'm creative. It's the reason you're creative. You know, like HSP and all this crap. Anyway, that was a 14-ish minute answer.
0: No, but this is- <laughs> To a this half is, question. Did So when did you discover the arts then? And was that like sort of your safe place, would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, my grandmother was very concerned about education, so she taught me to read and write. Now I understand earlier than a lot mm-hmm. of other kids knew and I just liked knowing all that crap. And I wrote I was like writing cursive in kindergarten. And so I was like at a different reading level blah 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 than other kids, third grade on and then in 8th grade, and this was when I was in Vegas by the time I was in 7th, 8th grade. I could read straight off the page without making a mistake. This was like one of my favorite things to do in front of a class, especially mm-hmm. because this time I was now into stand-up comedy, and I was now into – When you were eight? In eighth grade.
0: Oh, eighth grade. Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, I was probably from sixth, fifth grade, definitely a comedy nerd. I was watching SNL. I was watching In Living Color. I was watching Def Comedy Jam. I was watching Evening at Caroline's. I was watching The A-List. I was watching Mystery Science Theater 3000. I was watching all of the stuff.
0: I mean, just if we could pause for a second – does it blow your fucking mind that you're working on a show that you grew up loving?
1: Oh yes, yes, and that's why it's also intimidating. <laughs> that's why, yeah, that's why it's also like, oh, but not fuck up. But like, it's it is kind of insane. Yes,
0: it's always so funny to me. This is a total aside. This is me being old and mad, but uh, or not old, but just like, what is with the youth? But whenever I see comedians tearing apart SNL online, and I'm like oh, fuck off. You grew up dying to be on Saturday Night Live. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And, and you're publicly shitting on it. Like, you would hmm. run to delete those tweets if you got a <laughs> call. You know, like, every comedian's dream growing up would be
1: to be to, love, Saturday Night to be Live. on the
0: show. I mean, come on. Anyways, that was just me being, like, the gall the youth has to...
1: Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> and I was hungry for it because now I'm understanding, like, I didn't have a bunch of friends, and I mm. and I spent a shitload of time alone. This latchkey kid thing, like I'm realizing I didn't have a babysitter. I woke up and got myself ready for school mm. and came home and let myself in with my own key from third to 10th grade, 11th-ish, mm. that whole time. And it was like, no one woke me up. No one made sure I ate. No one made sure I showered, brushed my teeth, f- ate at night, I had clean clothes. I did everything myself. And
0: how did you learn to do those things? Where? Sorry. First of all, where was your grandmother? She was still in Santa in New Mexico?
1: No, she was in Vegas. So it, it's, and this is where I'm still thinking about this because it's kind of a blur. So like at first it was my mom and myself alone. Then my grandmother moved in with us. Okay. Then, when she got the job at the Mirage, we moved from the the more hoodie hood hoodie hood side of town to a less hoodie side of town. Okay. Still the hood, but just slightly less guns. So okay. Slightly le- less gunshots. Oh, is that a gunshot? Okay. Well, I haven't heard one in two days instead of two minutes. Um, Jesus. And then. Because that's another thing. It's like we're, we're kind of in a neighborhood where there's some gunshots. And I'm like, oh, I do know what that uh, sounds like. Currently
0: I, you are? Yeah. yeah. Really? Because I know your neighborhood, I think. You don't just say it on yeah. – But.
1: I don't know which part of uh, town you think I live in.
0: Is it where I saw you walking your child one time?
1: No. No, we moved.
0: Oh. Or you saw me
1: walking my child one
0: time. Los Feliz.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We moved from there. We moved from there.
0: Oh, and and it's a gunshot every now and then? Well, we're like
1: in a, like in a very secluded neighborhood, you know, in a house, which uh-huh. is very different than what we were doing in Los Feliz because it was kind of like we were on a second floor, two-bedroom apartment with a stairwell outside, which would have been impossible to do with two kids. I mean, it had already yeah. become impossible to do with two kids trying to, you know, and then I'm working, so Rhiannon's trying to like, you know – pick that crap up and downstairs by herself. It was insane. Yeah. Luckily, we moved into this place before the pandemic started. Oh, you know? great. And we were, so we are fortunate to have this place, even though it's like, we have a little yard and we, even though we're way out of the, we're in kind of in the sticks, you know, we're in the east side. El Serena was the name of this neighborhood. Okay. So yeah, there, so sometimes we hear some gunshots that are not that far away. You know, but some we also hear like fireworks that are also I mean, far, far away.
0: Don't even get me started <laughs> on the firework epidemic in Los Angeles. What the fuck is wrong with everyone? What are you celebrating?
1: Uh, pff, who the hell knows? You know, when it was, I mean, there was a lot of, whew, I don't even want to get into this, but there was a lot of police doing it, you know, or like when last year, you know, there's a lot of evidence. I don't mean to sound conspiracy-ish. Yeah. <laughs> but like police were selling it seems allegedly, I'll say, you know, politically correct words, the authorities might have been selling illegal fireworks out of vans that were uh, marked differently to teenagers. Because if a teenager uh, is bored and you say, hey, you want this $300 firecracker for $30, they're going to buy that firecracker. <laughs> they're going to buy that they firecracker. They were doing
0: it just to make money?
1: No, to create constant disturbance it's like being in a war-torn country
0: oh really
1: people on edge my father was in the military he said this is this is common just blowing shit up all the time this is this is how you destabilize if you're gonna like siege a city you just start blowing shit up all the time and it keeps people on edge because they never know when they're gonna hear an explosion if the explosion is gonna be close if it's gonna be far if it's a bomb if it's a they don't know but it it's keeps you true. on edge. It keeps you on this place of what the. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That's not. That's intentional.
0: So let me ask you a question about having kids. Mm-hmm. All this being said, so I know for me, uh, I was never. I didn't. I didn't grow up being like I'm definitely going to have. It, it wasn't like mm. on my dream list. I had no idea. And then there was a period. You know, probably 10 years ago where I was like, it's, I don't think it's for me. Mm -hmm. And I also think that's 10 years ago is when I really started getting deep into therapy and going hardcore and dealing with, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I really, for a while, just thought that I was too fucked up to be a parent. I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm, I'm depressed, but I refuse to call it depression. I had anxiety, but I hadn't been diagnosed, but I would go off and on meds and, you know, I had suicidal ideations Mm -hmm. and I just thought I was selfish and I was, my ego was wrapped into comedy so hard. And Mm. I just felt like a fucking mess regardless Mm. of how I seemed on the outside. And that feeling of feeling too fucked up to be a parent, I don't, I don't know if it's discussed as much as I would like it to be, but I am mm. curious as somebody who you know, has done a lot of therapy and has had experiences, did you ever feel that or did you always know you wanted them?
1: One time I was a Jehovah's Witness. This is like the summer between my eighth and ninth grade. And the reason it happened is because of stand-up comedy. Every now and then there's like a certain theme that just suddenly every comedian is talking about for some reason. It's just in the zeitgeist. And I was watching all this TV and everyone's like, Jehovah's Witnesses. Am I right? Jehovah's Witnesses. You know when Jehovah's Witnesses come and they knock? My dad lets a man because he's a minister. He's like, why don't you come sit down? I made some lemonade. And I'm like, Jehovah's Witnesses. Why is everybody bothered with Jehovah's Witnesses? Boy, I wonder who that can be. I'm literally in eighth grade. You're right. And I opened the door and it's two Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I let them in, and I was a Jehovah's Witness for summer.
0: <laughs> What'd you do this summer? I went to camp. I rode horses. I became a Jehovah's Witness. Summer before
1: my summer before high school.
0: Wow.
1: My mom made me stop. Isn't you know that funny? Uh, she had nothing to do with it. I did it on my own. I was very self-sufficient. I tell you that to tell you this. <laughs> Who am I, Ron White right now? <laughs> I would say about... Mm, I should have been, I was probably about 27, 28, 29. You and I probably knew each other by this time, right? Okay. Doing stand-up comedy in New York. Yeah. Doing stand-up comedy in New York. And of course, as we are leaving our quarter life crises, you know, Mm -hmm. some of us um, are even married at that time. Uh, (laughs)
0: Yeah, and then not.
1: And then not. Yeah. We're all talking about all of these things that we were told to expect to happen when we were adults. Yeah, And we're starting to become the age of remembering when our parents, oh my God, my parent was younger than me when they had a kid. So suddenly every comic was talking about how they could never be a, co- a parent. Yeah, they could never be a parent. And everyone's arguments were shitty. This was my way I do stand up, mm-hmm. right? When I felt like everyone was talking about a similar thing, but everyone mm-hmm. kept leading towards the same punchline or the same idea. I always try to go, how can I subvert this? Mm. And I never really wrote a joke about it, but I ended up kind of convincing myself that I actually did want to become a parent through that and trying to write a joke about why I could never be a parent. I realized that all of my arguments were in some way selfish and about something that was actually temporary I won't be able to do something that's temporary. I won't be like, able to get, some, like, go on a vacation whenever I want. Like, yeah. you know, like people's arguments were always about why they believed so hardcore they could never be parents. But then I would look at the audience and I would see everyone that's that person's age laughing. But most people, especially if they were parents, sometimes laughing, sometimes going like, that's not really that convincing. And that's the thing. I want to convince the audience of something that they haven't thought of.
0: Oh, I agree. And I never talked about this on stage, at least back then. I've, I've, I'm i slowly talking about it now that I am a parent. Mm-hmm. I think that's a different perspective to talk about thinking I couldn't do this. Because to be honest with you, I'm like, I'm actually real good. <laughs> like, I'm kind of... I, I I actually think thinking that I wouldn't be good is what made me good.
1: I am a hundred percent in agreement with you on that.
0: Because the self-awareness of, I don't know. I, I have a lot of self-forgiveness and self-awareness mm. and mm-hmm. just like, I waited, like I waited a really long time. I waited till I had a, I, I feel very, you know, I didn't realize how many people have kids with partners that, they're terrible as a partnership. Mm. It's so, you know, I'm not saying any partnership, not saying every, you know, has to be perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. But my God, it's like the amount of people who like seem like they hate their children or hate being a parent. And then when you really talk about it, they hate their partner.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: shit. You know, they That's have no pretty support. Deep.
1: That's pretty fucking deep. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that that actually is the thing. It's that people don't know what it means to be supported yeah, and to have someone have your back. And so that feeling in and of itself sometimes masquerades as I'm fucked up, mm-hmm. but it's because you're in a situation where maybe you don't know how to trust anybody else because you don't know how to trust yourself. And so it's like, well, if I can't trust me and I can't trust somebody else, how the fuck am I going to be a parent? You know yeah. what I mean? But those are the things that I feel like are the things that I really figuring out. Because you know what? If I didn't become a parent, then I would just go on in that cycle, you know, because even the things that you were talking about, like, you know, these depression and I have this and I have that it's weird because the the, the problem with labels is that they bring this sense of definitiveness, you yes. know, and, yes. and finality, but. Any label is just a means of describing an event quickly
0: and And what to go back to feeling old, <laughs> what and i I feel like I've mentioned this so many times and like a broken record. but that is what's so interesting to me about the youth is that they seem so into labels. Mm-hmm. And we grew up you know, I th- I think you would agree, like the 90s, it was all like, you can't box me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, cross colors, see no color, you know? Like it was all about like, we are all just people, man. And now it <laughs> does feel like, being depressed and anxious as a brand being wanting kids, not wanting kids as a brand. And I, don't get me wrong. Like I agree that all those things are important and labels are important. And a lot of times we share labels so that, you know, it's, it's how you relate, but it is so interesting that we've all, I don't know to go from like growing up in a time where it was all about, like, we are all one and you can't tell me who I am to now. Like I am who I fit in a bio.
1: Hmm. interesting it, it's
0: like at least that's how I and 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 maybe it's not a bad thing that's it, how people connect and I think it's how people feel safe you know and talking about safety you're like well I feel safe you know it's the equivalent of like um you know when I go to a neighborhood and I see a lot of uh uh you know those signs that say uh in this house we believe in science is real and love is love. I feel very safe in that neighborhood. Mm. <laughs> I go to a neighborhood with a Blue Lives Matters stand for the flag, kneel for the cross flag. Up. Mm-hmm. I'm scared.
1: Right. Oh, is so, that the Confederate flag and the yeah. state flag? I'm out of here. <laughs>
0: so I do think that's part of why people are really holding on to those labels now because it is like, mm. I'm a safe person. I'm a good person. I'm a this, but it is, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing because uh, you're right. Like most labels, even like calling somebody, for example, uh, I hate it when someone's like, Oh, th- that's the chill. They're the chill parent and the other parent or the other person in the relationship is like the boss. It's like, well, that's ebbs and flows. What are you talking about?
1: I think that your when you said that your like anxiety is your brand, that's like the nail on the head, definitely, because the 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 diagnosis or the label or the brand, you know, all these things become the same thing, especially because you know, I I think that I've been thinking about English a lot lately because I think that this (laughs) is one of the worst languages in the history of humanity. (laughs) This is a fucking shitty language that is yeah. declarative. Yeah. You know, we're a language, you know, you, you, it's gestures. Watch someone who speaks Italian speak Italian. There's not a lot of like, I'm pointing at you, you know, I'm pointing at that. There's more like kind of like open-handed gestures or like-
0: What are you talking about? I'm doing open hands right now. The
1: fingers. Same with- I've seen people speak French or Spanish- You know, and it's like the gestures, the body moves in a different way. But when it's English, it's like point, 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 point. And it's because we're declarative. This is that. That's a chair. You're this. You're the. It's like we constantly have to label shit.
0: And then. Go ahead. Things because I'm what? I was going to say to you. No, I want you to finish your thought. I interrupted.
1: Well, it connects to why we are um, capitalists, I think, as well. Because it's easy to brand something and to sell something so it's you like didn't... go ahead
0: <laughs> it's funny because sometimes you could do a pod where you gotta really lead the convo and sometimes it's just two people that love to chat i'm also um, like
1: high on caffeine right now so it's i like, had
0: a large coffee as well yeah, yeah. um do you think the reason is and I realize English isn't wasn't created in America it's it, you know it but do you think part of that pointing that feels very american is because americans don't have a cultural root do you mm. know what i mean like mm-hmm. like there isn't okay all i know is that i heard that today if i'm not mistaken if you get vaccinated if you pr- you can get like a free beer like there's some campaign right now that like you get a free beer if you're vaccinated in america so this is what where fuck so um, and if i'm wrong maybe it's a rumor but i'm not surprised so i feel like well okay, you know what i did see what
1: they're trying the, to make, the lottery shit is crazy
0: yeah that you can win a million dollars a
1: million dollars if you get vaccinated
0: <laughs> what the who wants to be a vaccinated
1: Meanwhile, person? Meanwhile, <laughs> you know, the, the majority countries. of the planet is just kind of yeah. like, when can we get these?
0: But but that's what I'm saying. Like, I know it's like, well, if you don't like it, then leave. Trust mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. I'm working on it. Uh, no, but I <laughs> uh, I am working on a dual well, citizenship.
1: But... Julia, though, if you don't like it, then leave. Let me think on that statement <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm not leaving America. I'm leaving the way that America has taught me to think. Yes. This is decolonization. This is self-care and trauma work. It's all the same shit to me. It's America has taught us a narrative. And then we have to do everything we can to release ourselves from that narrative. And when I say America's taught us a narrative, it's the same with my family. It's the same with your family. Yeah. We all hold on to a list of statements we believe to be true about ourselves or others and it is hard as fuck when those those statements came from definitive moments in our lives where our brains are growing and our sense of how we operate in the world is developing. It's hard as fuck to let go of that shit.
0: Well, do you – so, oh God, I have like so many questions and thoughts. I – well, I think that, you know, when I said like I thought I was too fucked up to be a parent, mm-hmm. but ha- much like – much like my depression, right? So I also used to think my depression was because I was a piece of shit, right? Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. depression tells you. Mm-hmm. And when I started to learn that a lot of my depression was actually the world makes me feel like shit mm-hmm. and the world is shitty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it breaks my heart to mm-hmm. see like it's depressing. Like you, here you are trying mm-hmm. to be a good person and then you see like awful, it seems as though- and i know on a spiritual level, level otherwise but it seems as though awful people are rewarded um you know corruption like all that shit right mm-hmm. so much like i thought depression was i was the one that was bad but it's actually the world is kind of bad sort of like i thought i was going to be a fucked up parent but more so i'm realizing it was that i think the world is really fucked up and i you know i i had i when i was pregnant i remember I can't remember if someone said it to me I hope it wasn't someone saying it to me maybe someone posted it but it was like you know someone kind of doing a joke rant where they were like why would anyone because it was during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and during a certain president and all this stuff like why would anyone bring a child into this world Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I really like meditated on it and thought about it Mm. and I was like (sighs) at times I felt like I don't know is this a huge mistake I mean I was too far in but I was like no, because your child, if you make your number one focus raising a child that is full of love as mm-hmm. much as you can make them such and resilient and kind and compassionate and sensitive, but also with boundaries and strong, mm-hmm. like it can make the world better. Like I have to believe that.
1: It also, yes. First of all, I agree with you. Yeah. Let me say that. And this is what parenting has has opened me up to. I was raised in a place with no. I was raised in a way with no support, with no systems, with no routines, with no boundaries. And I didn't tell anybody. This is what I'm now understanding is like, oh, I kept this all to myself as well. And as I, an adult, as a as a teenager, okay. Like, and as an adult. Yeah. Like I, it informs the way that I am. Like I move and I think, and I, I exist in the world a certain way because of these facts, but I didn't admit to myself in a way that those are the facts that inform how I act. But admitting those things lets me see the things of how I act in terms of, well, it makes me see how I act in terms of when it's toxic and when it's valuable. And now can you
0: expand on that a bit.
1: Well, like we're talking about being a highly sensitive person, right? Uh-huh. So I kind of call it like I have a hypervigilance like a motherfucker. Like it's it's PTSD, but it's the reason I'm creative.
0: Yeah, okay, I understand.
1: It's the reason I can write. It's the reason I can get on stage. It's the reason I can drop in and out of characters and voices because I listen to people so hard that I can tell the difference in accents. You know, in a city in which both of those people aren't from. Mm. I can tell the difference in vowel sounds and palate placement and all this shit that I learned in theater school. But I was always as a kid studying it because mm-hmm. I was trying to navigate my way through, you know, people who I can perceive everyone's dangerous. Everyone's dangerous. My parents are dangerous. Teachers are dangerous. The principal's dangerous. The police are dangerous. Everybody in my neighborhood mm-hmm. is dangerous. So how do I survive?
0: So, did you have a breaking, a a break? I don't know if it's it's really a, a breakthrough, a, a, a breaking point, wh- whatever it is, where you finally felt safe, or f- or learned to make yourself feel safe? Like, was there a shift? No, no.
1: that's what I'm seeing.
0: I'm but you, seeing, know, you still don't feel safe.
1: I'm seeing that I well, I didn't even know that that's how I felt. If you've never felt okay. any other way, you know, then you don't even know that that's how you feel.
0: So that is the thing that's sort of. Been open to you recently is that safety has been your thing or, or lack of?
1: I mean, I didn't drink or smoke weed, my you know, unlike a lot of other kids, not through high school, not through college. Mm. You know, I didn't smoke weed until like my late ish 20s and didn't really get high until my early 30s. And it was in that moment that I was like, whoa, I am tightly wound.
0: Oh, okay. The first I time I got
1: high, I realized that I had never ever relaxed.
0: So your lack of safety manifested in a way where you were just like you said the rubber band is like choking you. Like you were just yeah. hypervigilance
1: at all time. Keep going, keep going. Think faster than everyone, move
0: faster than everyone. How exhausting.
1: Yes, exactly. I did I realized I didn't ever go on a vacation. Um, like I started traveling when I was doing colleges you know, in the mid-2000s. That was really when I started traveling. I had never traveled before that.
0: Mm.
1: When I moved from Vegas to Boston to go to college, that was the first time I had been to the East Coast. Actually, it was the second time. It was the second time because I went to like some New York trip when I was in high school. But I went to Central Park. The place that I went to visit was kind of near Central Park. And I walked outside to New York City and I was like, this is too fucking much. I was like, I'm never going to find my way back even though i could see central park <laughs> i was like i'm just gonna stay in this building then because that's how that's how <laughs> you know vibrational i guess that's how much i was vibrating point what was the point what was the question that you asked me
0: oh who cares uh well is oh, that was there like a it was basically if there was a moment or what it was that made you realize that Well, I guess I have a a, a follow-up question because I think, okay, so for myself, Mm -hmm. in addition to worrying I might be too fucked up to be a parent, worrying about the world, I had, uh, gosh, I'd say almost like the opposite. I had a very overprotective mother. She was a stay-at-home mom. Me and my sister were her world Mm. You know what I mean? Um, It was really interesting because I was on the phone with her like a few months ago. And she let you you be
1: individuals, or was she always up in your shit? Because this is boundary shit. This is like where you get start to get into enmeshment shit, right?
0: Yeah, it's it. it, No, boundaries didn't really exist in my Mm -hmm. home. Uh, Culturally, there's no such thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, uh, it was a a lot of it was. you know, because they were in a lot of first generation children have experienced this and mm-hmm. that because your parents are trying to assimilate. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want you to be confident and bold, but don't make a mistake, just fit right in. Uh, don't make too much of a ruckus. Like, be you don't have to be like a like be mm. a be a leader-ish, but only if everyone else is doing it. Like it was sort of like mm. um so it was an assimilation thing, I think, is blend. where the yeah blend. So that was Challenging, but mm. um, it was interesting because my mom, you know, it's it, whatever your parent did, and obviously there's some parents that are awful, you know, and I'm not going to discount that, but, but, but a lot of parents, you know, again because they're they're working with that they have, um, I feel like whatever they do, so like my mom was very overprotective, mm-hmm. didn't really. You know, I, I, you know, I played with friends, but there was always sort of a like, or you could stay home and watch all the TV and eat all the pizza where I can see you and protect (laughs) you. Like she was very protective, right? Yes. And it made me scared in my own way um, because I, uh, you know, she, she did everything for me pretty much, you know, like I kind of was – Overprojected like babied. Like she first time I walked to school, she followed behind and embarrassed me, you know, mm. like that kind of stuff. And it's so interesting because having the complete opposite experiences you still affected me negatively in a way. You know what I mean? It, well, it has its, its so,
1: own it's, it has its own thing.
0: Right. And and it's all relative. And, and it was really interesting cuz i was on the phone with her a few months ago and she you know now that i have a child she's you know watching me raise the child and she was like oh you know the neighbors they have a a child who's like a year older than than my daughter she was like and i was watching them let the the kid learn how to walk and the kid's falling and the kid would cry but then they'd let it walk again and and she's like i didn't do that with you hmm. and i was like okay she goes i should have let you like fall and cry more, and like learn. She's like, I. She like apologized to me. She's like, I. I just wanted to protect. She goes, and I'm watching them. And she goes, and now the kid like runs up the stairs, and he he's not afraid of anything. And it was and sh- and it was like she sounded really s- like a little sad about it. And and so that this is a very long way of getting to that was also a fear in parenting was that I would. Fuck them up. Mm-hmm. Feel bad about fucking them up. Have to live with feeling bad about it. Be too overprotective. Not be able to protect them. Do you know what I mean? Like all this stuff. Like hover. Because like even sometimes, like with with we were like when we're doing um, you know, like we're trying to teach her how to like crawl, walk, and mm-hmm. and she'll start crying. Like we'll put the toy out of her reach so she can try to crawl to it. And she'll start crying, and I used to pick up the toy and hand it to her. And my husband's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, mm. "But she's sad." Like, and so I have to catch myself. So I, I, I ask you, who had a very opposite experience, and you grew up so hyper vigilant, right? Do you find yourself hovering or being too overprotective, or do you have the opposite? Like, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, I think we all have our ideas of what is good and what isn't bad. And most of that mm-hmm. is based on shit that is actually not factual. Because yeah. I think the thing is that with this parenting thing, it's it's really hard not to insert yourself and your feelings into your child's experience. Yes. And to have – to make them have your feelings now. Oh, yeah. you're hurt. You know, or, or to – it's a hard balance because it's like how do you let them be their own person but then also know when to step in. And so yes. – I think that there isn't a good answer to that. And that's the point is that there is not one good answer or not one good reaction is that you have to be in the moment. But if we are being straight, uh, you know, strangled with all of these elastics. Yeah. It's really hard to be in that moment when we're gasping for air. And so it's kind of like for me with the kids I, yes, I definitely want to be overprotective. I definitely want to be oversupportive.
0: That's two different things.
1: I also find myself wanting to lie to them when we're playing something and letting them win. And and it's like I have to balance it because then, well, then what? He's never going to really learn the value. Like I want him to know what it's like to kick the soccer ball and to make it into the goal, right? Yeah. But I, But if I'm standing here faking like I'm going to block it and then I don't, that does one thing, and I've done that, but then I've also not given him a break. And then my God, yeah. when he got it past me, when he when he still kicks it past me and I'm actually trying, it's this, it's a different thing.
0: Oh, yeah. When she reaches the toy on her own, and she's so proud of herself, and I'm cheering.
1: But it's also we have to kind of... Go moment by moment and not – and that's the biggest thing is not projecting, not projecting, not assuming, not going like, oh, no, they need to, I want to. Because being present with their discomfort yeah. makes me realize that I have never learned how to be present with my own.
0: Oh, Baron, write it down. <laughs> I mean – And that's
1: what all of this is about. Uh. Yeah. It's all about learning how to be with your own discomfort. This trauma is a fact. It's not good, it's not bad. Yeah. It's a fact. And so learning it's like I we have to learn that the trauma that happened to us is a fact and not a reality, and not a reality right now.
0: I mean, I hope that you know that you are such a and I I didn't – it's so funny because when we recorded the first episode, I learned stuff about you that people will never hear. <laughs> um, but I always learned, like, you're so resilient. Oh, and thank it, you. But, it, but resilience is a um, – I don't know if it's rare. It feels rare. Um, and it's a hard – it's hard. Like, I think resilience is something to be extremely proud of because it's very difficult. It's really easy to hmm. sit and how it's easy to sit with the elastic and just let the elastics kill you. and act yes. like they're not. you know what I mean? It's really they like comfortable. you have no choice.
1: That's the biggest yeah. thing
0: the, the I, elastics I, hurt, but they they're comfortable. They're, they're 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 familiar,
1: and right now, because I'm talking to you, I can say this, but you know, an hour ago, I totally did not believe I had a choice in the state of panic that I was in. So it's kind of like, an hour? What happened an hour ago? I'm just being, you know, I'm just being hyperbolic, but it's kind oh. of like, I'm just saying, er, it, oh but literally God, earlier something. today, you know, it's yeah. not like I've, I've gone through this day being like, wise, wise, why. God damn it, I'm wise. <laughs> There's been the moments where I'm like, God damn, like I've, I've been trying to write something for a long time, a long time, and I'm doing everything I can to, 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 it's kind of like my body's like shit and I'm just stuffing shit up my ass to keep it just just like keep it in I'm like not only am I constipated but I'm gonna block you like I'm just like (laughs) why can't I just let myself do the thing you know what I mean so and it's because of my own fear and that's the thing when we define the 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 feeling we go oh it's fear or it's I'm a blah then it's when we, we when we create the narrative for the feeling that's when we take the feeling away from our body
0: Mm.
1: and then we put it you know in our heads which is really you know like a file cabinet we're like we're like oh i know what this is filed and so when we go to that feeling we now think we know what it is but we have to kind of it's like this thing is like oh i don't want to feel bad maybe i don't want to feel bad i want to feel good but you have to it's like both have to exist you know, and I'm 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 just trying to be with that and learn to be with it. And yeah. because the more I do that, the more I can do it with them, which teaches them
0: how yeah. to do it. Because it's easy to, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but you know, as I've worked through different mental health things, one of the hardest parts was when I would have when I went through that phase of thinking I was cured, quote unquote cured, and then still getting sad or anxious uh-huh. a week later or a month later. And then really uh it was very all or nothing. I I thought either I was cured or I was a mess. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And and you know, and of of course, because you know, and I, I, I don't know if this is true in all cultures, but I do feel like our culture is very black and white. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? It's like you are a Republican or a Democrat. You are a, you know, I, I don't. I'm sure there's many other examples, but you are a this or a th- you are like it's so gray area mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is not always encouraged. Gray area seems like a very Eastern philosophy of like. Being in the moment, balance. sitting with it, balance, yes. Yin and, and yang and to finally, and I'm so grateful for this, to finally be in a place where, like, you know, when someone says, How are you doing? It seems like you're doing great. I'm like, you know what? Things are things are are good right now. And I realize saying that doesn't mean I don't still have bad moments. Of course. But like the tools I have to not mm. let it um define me completely and mm-hmm. be like well i guess i'm just a depressed person now mm-hmm. like it it ebbs and flows and i'm i'm so grateful i am in a good place because i am in all the places and no none of them are you know full they're all te- there's temporary the bad places are temporary if that makes any sense
1: now the other thing that i'm also working on is having patience and gratefulness yeah for when i feel like shit
0: but can I say something about the gratitude, though?
1: Mm-hmm. Gratefulness, yeah, you're right. Gratitude, patience, and gratitude for for when I feel like shit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I this is probably a whole other hour conversation, so maybe <laughs> I should bring it up. But Part I too. do think gratitude hashtag gratitude does get over. I, I I I agree. Yes, be grateful for those those learning moments. Oh, gratitude those, doesn't those feel good. But but I think that we I think gratitude like branding mm-hmm. is is a little. I don't need to see so many mugs to remind me to be grateful. It's like, ah. it's also, it is also okay to be like, this fucking sucks. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's okay too. I agree with you. I, I, I'm grateful for all the experiences, but uh, this is more so for listeners. I always am like, you know, it's a balance, I guess I I'm ranting.
1: You also can be grateful for things that you're grateful for. You don't have to be <laughs> grateful for the shit. That's <laughs> shitty. Yes. You you know, um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to talk about Harry Potter. I can't believe I'm about to do it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I don't remember which book it is, but it was something about the uh, the Patronus charm. You know what I'm talking about?
0: I don't know Harry you see, Potter.
1: You see Harry the movies? God. You see the movies?
0: I saw one. Okay, um... well,
1: the point is, you've experienced great, great gratitude. Yeah. You've experienced joy. Mm-hmm. Those are not permanent feelings. Mm -hmm. Neither is sadness or anxiety. Those are not permanent Mm -hmm. feelings. You know, a, a teacher of mine once described anxiety as the feeling of, you know, being preoccupied with that which has yet to happen. Yes. And depression is being preoccupied with that which has already happened.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: One's an obsession with the future. One's an obsession with the past. Neither of them have anything to do with the present moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is a teacher that said this to me in college. And uh, it turns out science continues to prove what she said correct. You know. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you have felt joy, then you know you can. If yeah. you have felt happiness, then you know you can. But it yeah. doesn't mean that that's where you're supposed to permanently just exist. It's yeah. just you just are supposed to accept that you have access to those feelings. Yeah, and that exactly. You should, regardless of how shitty you feel, just spend a couple of hours every week just sitting in that state. Because otherwise, what is the fucking point?
0: Every morning I meditate. Uh, sometimes it's very brief, but um, I always quickly in my head go through the gratitude stuff. It's mm. usually people, for the oh. most part. Um, I've never done it.
1: Never done it. <laughs> but that's amazing.
0: It it is. It's just a moment where I just say thank you because mm. I am very grateful for the people in my life and i'm especially grateful for the person i created my child and the person i created them with my partner Mm, like mm. like more than i makes it makes me want to cry but like i never i never thought this is what being married and having a child was. I had so many Mm. misconceptions about it. I had so many, so much anger about it. I still have
1: misconceptions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, so much, um, you know, it's presented often that it's, it's really, really hard and awful and you have to struggle and like, and yeah, there, it is hard sometimes, but like, it's also not required. Mm. You can die and never be married and have a child. There's no rule that says you have to do it. And the amount of people that seem to do it, and I, I'm also, you know, it's kind of like the comedy thing. Mm-hmm. Like you'd see, like usually guys being like, "Oh my wife, oh my kid," you know. They're so, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Fuck you!" You know how many people would kill to have a family, mm. and you're up there being like, you know. So I'm, I'm grateful that I am grateful mm. for them.
1: Well, here's a, here's a thing. This is like because this is like patriarchal shit, too, because I think yeah. that like me, we, me, men, we're all kind of taught that our value is our individuality, our independence and our ingenuity mm. and our inventiveness. We have to be alone and do it all, you know, and nowhere in that is there anything about intimacy or partnership mm. or vulnerability. And these are the things that it takes for a man, a straight man, straight cisgendered man to be in a partnership with something, someone, and we're not, that's just not taught to us. It's not valuable to us. And so why is it, you know, I always, I guess I always thought that when I was watching stand up as a kid, when I saw comics saying that, it just seemed like they were all saying, I don't want to talk to anyone. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> that's what seems like, I don't want to open up you know like she was just like what are you feelings like feelings
0: yeah what?
1: <laughs> like that's what every joke was and i'm like yeah okay so we're all, we all don't want to talk about our goddamn feelings it seems to be the that seems to be the thing and that is what the thing is because to talk about our feelings is to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable is not to be in control and to not be in control is not to be powerful and if you're not powerful you're not a man
0: Yeah, and actually the opposite is true. I think to have feelings and to share those feelings is extremely powerful.
1: It's so powerful that it's scary.
0: Yeah. I mean –
1: what's The hardest thing for me is being honest with or just finding out that I can say what I need or what I want. And then this is the first time I think I've ever actually – Well, I think this is the first time I've actually ever had to think about and really have thought about what I want and what I need. Yeah. And I think like I'm 40 and I've never really thought about for real, for real, what I want and what I need in a every day in my immediate life Mm -hmm. sense. It's always been some conceptual thing that's outside of my home.
0: Yeah. And it's probably, I think that's what I'm saying when I was saying I'm grateful. It's, uh, you know, I have I still have goals. I I feel more focused and confident than ever. I don't need any of those goals to be fulfilled to complete me. Mm. I would like those goals to be fulfilled because I think I will do a good job and serve the world. Mm-hmm. But my needs for the most part as far as like on a soul level mm-hmm. feel very fulfilled by this Family I've created.
1: Fantastic. That is and, incredible. And, and that can
0: be anything. And, and you know, that doesn't necessarily have Family doesn't mean, and I'm even mean, like, extended as far as, like, friends, as far as my community, as far as my, you know, original family or whatever. Like, it's my in-laws. Like, whatever family means. My dog. Like, it doesn't have to necessarily mean kids. Um, And I think, yeah. Like, it's like you got to create the family that makes you, whatever that means to you, that makes you feel safe.
1: Yes, yes. A family does not necessarily mean biological, you know, created group of people that you made with someone. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Again, this goes back to English, our obsession with it. Well, a family is this, and marriage is this, and a man is that. And like, just we have to know, we want to define what everything isn't. No, you know, to define something is to say, no, nothing else is allowed in here. And that's done so well for us as a country.
0: Yeah, I'm think. not interested anymore.
1: We think. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll just be happy in my, my little, you know what? Bubbles aren't the worst thing sometimes.
1: <laughs> perfect. Perfect.
0: <laughs> you know, um, I wanted to, uh, you should give a listen to and anyone listening as well. Have you heard of Dr. Shafali? um. I don't know her last name. she's on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday a lot. She talks a lot about radical parenting. It's really out there stuff, but it's all about like not forcing who you are and your dreams and goals mm-hmm. on your child mm-hmm. um, I'm not I'm not verbalizing it correctly. it's and this was I listened to her like years before I had a kid, but it was really man. It just explained every it's very
1: very difficult.
0: yeah, it's because really again, difficult
1: We're individuals. So it's like yeah. we're individualistic. So we're like, what I want and what I say goes. But trying not to, but trying to make space for someone else to exist? Oh. Not the not the top skill set of Americans.
0: But also, is that so funny? To make space for someone else to exist, you literally are the reason that person exists. Mm-hmm. You have to make space for them. You've made space for them. If, if you gave birth in, in your body, you made space for them in your home by giving them a bedroom, you have to make space for them to expand as a human being, you know?
1: And this is why I think a lot of people have a hard time with parenting. Either they don't yeah. want to be parents because they, you know, and of course I'm not saying everyone, but like I think a lot of people don't want to be parents because they don't know how to make space for anyone else but themselves.
0: Yeah, and, and that's I, okay. And you shouldn't yeah. have a kid if you're not ready.
1: And I think people who become parents don't and i think people that become parents that don't know how to make space for someone else uh suck at it those are the ones yeah, who um, that's
0: actually pretty selfish
1: yeah yeah and that's where it becomes you are inserting yourself into that person's existence yeah. they don't get to be themselves because they you have, they have to be what you want them to be and that is the truth i don't even know what I'm that's just well, the old I
0: think- yeah, I think both of our caffeine is wearing off, and <laughs> I think, I think you know, if we really had to wrap it up, we're kind of perfect at okay. being parents, um, and the world is better for having our little nuggets mm-hmm. in it. Um, chicken and I can't, I
1: can't... nuggets, chicken in quotes, yeah. chicken in quotes.
0: <laughs> this was such a delight. I end every show with perhaps, you know, everything else we talked about not that important. This is the mm-hmm. most important question. Okay. Should I get bangs? uh no okay any further comment or that's it
1: um i think you're i think you got a bob and weave (laughs) i just wanted to make a a boxing hair joke no um i I don't even think i've ever seen uh, a bob on you
0: a bob and a weave that's hilarious those are two hair things i just got it
1: stupid it's stupid but like no it's great yeah uh you shouldn't get bangs no
0: okay i appreciate it baron Anything you want to have people, you want people to listen to your once in a while podcast. My, my. Even we're out. Of, we're out of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> my,
1: my, my winsome
0: fortnightly podcast.
1: Beautiful. Um Winsomely fortnightly podcast. Self-quar. Check me out.
0: Aaron, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Julia.
0: I just read somewhere that June is national men's health month, uh, which these, national months and days the men's health month I can understand but there's a lot of national days that they get a little outrageous like there's like national pizza day national fuzzy rug day national hold a friend's hand and jump into a lake day um those were terrible examples but you get the point there's a lot of weird national days and I don't really understand, um, why we need all these days, but it's national men's health month. Uh, I had never heard of that, but I will use it as an excuse to say, please remember health includes mental health. Um, I was reading about national men's health day. What I read about it really just talked about like, uh, high blood pressure and heart disease and all this stuff. And, um, you know, I've had some great men on this podcast that really really opened up about mental health, and it's been think it's been so fantastic because mental health is so stigmatized and for everyone uh but you know speaking openly about vulnerable issues like trauma like Baron talked about is even more so stigmatized for men because of the way that we have taught men to be you know so stoic and strong and Blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, in honor of National Men's Health Month, if you're a man listening to this podcast and you've never been to therapy and you can afford it, or you can research some free therapy options, just go to therapy. I don't care how tough you think you are, just go cry on someone's couch. It feels real fucking good. Um so that's it. That's how I'm going to end the show. Just a just a, a gentle nudge for everyone to take care of their mental health, but especially a message to men to take care of it during National Men's Health Month. Um, that's all. As always, thank you so much for listening to this show. Uh, if you enjoy it, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. And I will see you, I won't see you. I think I say that a lot. I say I'll see you next week, but I don't know who you are (laughs) who's listening. So I will talk into your ears again next week. Okay, bye.